Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey everyone, Dave here with the How We Solve podcast. I am talking today with Matthew Januzek co-founder of Escape Fitness, a business committed to working with fitness clubs to deliver the best possible exercise experiences. Matthew, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Yeah, it's a sunny day outside, so I can't complain. Awesome. Yeah, if you're in England, I believe you're in the UK and you've got a sunny day, you, you really can't complain, am I right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually in California. Oh, so, okay. Oh, well, then so it's sunny all the time. Otherwise, okay. <laughs> it wouldn't be sunny, yeah. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I don't, I, are you originally from the UK? Am I yeah, I am. Yeah, that's that's where this accent comes from. And okay. our companies, we, 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 our HQ's just about an hour north of London. So, yeah, very, very much in the UK. Cool. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear you made the move to sunny California. I'm sure it wasn't a difficult decision. Can't wait to talk about Escape Fitness. This company started in 1998. So there's many, many years that we can dive into. But first, you know, tell me a little bit more about kind of who you guys are and, and who you help because, you know, what does it mean to deliver the best possible exercise experience? Yeah, we're a, a family business. In fact, for quite a few of our early years, there was more family members than the non-family members in there. So I started it with my father. He was an engineer, had a passion for inventing things and, and making things. And I was I had a passion for fitness. I was a junior competitive bodybuilder in my, my sort of teenage years. And we both did our own thing for quite quite a while. And, and we got to probably, I, was, I think I was probably in my mid to late 20s. And remember having a chat with my father and on the on the stairs of of his house at the time. And we said, look, you know, we, we wanted to set up our own business, do something for the rest of the family. And his idea was that he wanted to do something in manufacturing because that was his background. And he believed at the time that Poland was going to be a really interesting European manufacturing base as the country started to open, closed country previously. So he, he said, look, you know, if you're thinking about an opportunity, give some consideration to Poland because I think that'll be a good place, particularly for Central Europe. And then from my side, it was really just doing being able to do something within the fitness space because that was really my passion. And so we we kind of combined those ideas. There was no sophisticated business plan as such. There was no big sort of VCs behind us. We we had a few thousand few thousand pounds. We managed to set up a company where we were manufacturing dumbbells and weight plates from Eastern Europe and selling them into England. So that's a very short version of the story. <laughs> Super cool, yeah. I like when obviously, you know, people start businesses around their passions. It sounds like original business was around some specialty products, so to say, that you were kind of maybe selling to fitness studios and clubs like that. And now I get the impression that it's really about a, an entire experiential, experiential design, like interior design of how the studio should be. Am I understanding correctly in, in the evolution of the business? Yeah, I, I think, you know, like, like good businesses, uh, not that we really thought about it at the time in terms of what we were doing. At the time, we identified a bit of a hole in the market, a bit of a problem to solve. And, and that was that um, a lot of the gyms I used to work out in, they used dumbbells and weight plates. Pretty much everybody, it was a staple. But most of them were made of steel, cast iron. And the, the gym that I, I went to, they had some of these very expensive ones which were made of rubber. And, and it was always, when, when I used to go to the gym, I always used to try and get in early enough so I could get the nice rubber ones because they just felt a lot better than the than the cheap steel ones. And 
And so when I when I was older, I sort of started to look at who was manufacturing, and there there wasn't anyone in in the UK that was that was manufacturing them. So in terms of the idea, I thought, well, if we could come up with an affordable rubber dumbbell and an Olympic plate, then I could just sell that to gyms. There's a lot of benefits. It's soft. It's it's nice. The the ones we developed had colours on them, and so that was really the problem that we kind of went about solving. And and as it happened, it was the right decision because there wasn't anything out there. The market really, really sort of picked up on it very, very quickly when we came with that solution. And although there was a lot of competition came within, you know, two, three, four years after we did it, it gave us enough of a head start to create a strong customer base and to enter a what was then even still a fairly competitive market. You know, a number of gyms in terms of obviously maybe what you started in the UK, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And now you said you're in 80 countries. And so what is it like, I guess, selling abroad to, you know, communicating with these gyms across the world? I assume everybody kind of has a little bit of a unique approach, obviously different languages, things like that. I mean, what are some of the challenges with that? We started our first venture into international business was in Poland. So we were manufacturing there and it it seemed because we had some relationships and we had a small office, then it seemed like a logical step to sell into the market. We probably misjudged the market. We were a little bit soon in there because we were selling quite a premium product. And at the time, the market was really developing, but it gave us a good understanding of international business and how difficult it could be, particularly, you know, not just language, but culture and and then all the various different administration and bureaucracy that goes into setting up a company, particularly somewhere like Poland, that, you know, their systems weren't really supportive of entrepreneur entrepreneurial companies at the time. And then we did the same in Germany a few years later, which was a little bit easier to set up. Still, again, a lot of challenges, language, culture. But, you know, it it was a really, not that I'd recommend doing it the way we did. It was quite a tough and expensive lesson, but it did give us a footprint and it, it gave us an understanding of how to do business internationally, how to set up warehouses, how to hire sales teams and operational people and, you know, negotiate leases and pay taxes and all that kind of stuff. So I think if I'd have done it again, I would have probably looked at a market that was more similar to where we were operating, uh, probably focusing on the English language first, because, you know, everything that you do, you know, all your marketing materials or your sales training or your product literature has to be done in, in multiple languages. So you've got to, you know, you've got to have someone that's just translating everything from contracts to websites. You, it's amazing how much documentation there is and that has to be done twice. And then when you get into to video, again, you've got to record those whole things differently. So you, you're basically creating a hell of a lot of additional work that you need to do. So the opportunity or the size of the prize needs to be as such that it's going to be worth you doing that. And, and I always say to people, although going internationally is very, you know, it's appealing, it's a bit sexy, maybe before you do that, really kind of think about have you really maximized the opportunities in your own market first and you know as as entrepreneurs we like to do that we, it's like okay what's the next what's the next land that we can go out and conquer you know and it's a, there's a definitely an excitement about that but i think sometimes there's a lot there's a lot of opportunities close to home and whilst as you're building a brand and a reputation and connections business is about relationships at the end of the day and creating awareness you know, if you can do that on a small market, whether that's in your local town or village, and then you could go to your city and your state or county or whatever, and you can go from there, then you're going to get this sort of halo effect that will keep growing beyond you. And when you go to a new country, you have to literally start that from scratch. 
And it's even worse because you don't, unless you have family or friends that have gone there, you don't have any of those relationships that you can pull onto. There's nobody you can get favors from. There's nobody that knows a company that does X, Y, and Z. So it's, um, yeah, certainly we, we would have probably done things a little bit slower if we did it again and maybe have chosen some different countries as well. Interesting. Uh, and now, you, I mean, you're in 80 of them. So everything, every challenge you just said, you, you know, you've kind of done 80 times or so. <laughs> I mean, there maybe are some economies of scale, but it sounds like then expanding your footprint. Well, we changed and just just to be clear. So what we what we did do is we changed from a direct model. So we, we were direct at the time in England, Poland, Germany, uh, Thailand, and then we opened in America. So that those were all direct entities. So direct businesses and people and everything. So so what we did from then onwards is we looked at the distributor model. So we supported it within each region. So Asia, Central Europe, USA, we then worked through dealers. And, and that that's probably a, a better model if you can support people and get the product to them pretty cost effectively. Then, then that's certainly one I'd recommend exploring before you actually sort of open up yourself. And it's not always possible, depending on the product, it's not always possible to do that. But where you can get a good partner in a market that wants to build your brand, then that's certainly an interesting route, route to explore. That's great. I'd love to hear more about that, some of the nuances. So the distributor model, I'm sort of assuming that you have a partner on the ground. Maybe they have some warehouses, they have transportation to deliver products, and in exchange, they're taking a cut on sales or something like that. But I could be wrong. So tell us a little bit about how that how that typically works. So we tend to look for a can be slightly different, but we tend to, if we were going to go into a country, let's say, let's say Spain, for example, then we, we would look for somebody within Spain that would have a connection to the market. So they're, they're in the business that we are, or, or similar business, or at least the customers that they're knocking on, the, the customers' doors that they're knocking on would be the same people that would buy our products. So they may be selling, let's say, treadmills, and we're selling functional training equipment, as an example. So complementary, you don't really want to be working with someone that's selling the same thing, because you know they're going to kind of sell maybe on price, and that, that's not really good for what you want. So we, we look for someone that's selling something complementary, somebody that's got the experience in import and export. So being able to bring, we, we manufacture in four or five different places around the world. So you want someone that's got experience to bring the products in. We're looking for someone that's got some capital behind them to buy stock, hold stock, be able to deliver as and when the, the customers require it. And then also have the ability and the experience and the, and the willingness to build the brand. We're a premium brand. And so there's a story that needs to be told around that. It's not a product that people are going to buy because it's the cheapest one in the market. So, so you need someone who's, who's able to do that as well. So it's something that takes a long time to really understand what does and doesn't make a good partner. And, it, and it's different by industry. And there are anomalies. You know, you can have certain things that don't always fit into that model, but you've got the, the people with the right attitude where they may partner with someone to do the warehousing and they're just really, really good at sales and marketing. But if you can really get a great partner, we've got some fantastic partners that work with us that share in the vision. They're almost an extension of your own business. We look at people like that as, you know, they're kind of almost shareholders in some respect. And we try and include them in as much as, as you know, as what we're doing as possible from developing products to, you know, creating solutions specifically that they need in their markets and their channels, which is difficult as you go around, so different as you go around the world. And yeah, you know, if you, if you can get it right, it's great. If you get it wrong, it can also trash your business at the same time. And, you know, we've, we've had, we've made bad decisions in the past, but fortunately we made more good ones and bad ones. 
that is often the the case is that that nobody has sort of had flawless uh, decision making, but they've made more good ones than bad ones. So we've talked a lot about kind of you know this international business and expanding into different markets. What about product development? So originally you mentioned kind of these these dumbbells as being the foundational product that you guys started with. Now when I look at the website, there's so many different products. I'm a, a little bit of a fitness enthusiast myself, and there's so many that I don't even recognize. You know, Bulgarian bag or things like that. So where do you sort of come up with the new ones that you're going to develop and what influences the decision between, yeah, I'm going to pursue this product and this is going to be good for these markets? It's certainly a skill that you have to work on and and develop over time. You know, certain people have good instinct. And I think that comes from, you know, I like to have felt I've, I've had a decent instinct, but that instincts come from spending 30 odd years hanging out, working out in gyms and traveling and seeing, just looking at what's going on in there. So, you know, it's, it's instinct through experience. But I think you've really got to, you've got to know the market. You've got to know who you're selling to. You've got to know the problems they need solving. And you've also got to be open to, you know, what you think is right may not be right. And or what you think is right may be half right, but you may also need to spend more time you know, because you you know, ten degrees to the left or the right, suddenly you've got a you know you've you've got a number one hit on your hands, and and the other way you, you've not. So there's some small things, and and so I think over the years I've really learned to. Um, in fact, we just had a you know we have these product calls once a week uh, for about sort of one and a half to two hours, and we really go into this. You know, we have some senior people on the phone. We really scrutinise everything. The good thing is that we've got a team of people that see things from very different angles. You know, we've got some fitness people, we've got some operational people, we've got some engineering people, and they all kind of look at it from a different perspective. And we challenge each other quite aggressively if we've got a really good idea. And then when we when we do think we've got a good idea, we kind of go out because the North American market is very different to the European market, Central Europe, and the UK is a little bit different from that, and Asia is different for that. And you would think, well, fitness is fitness everywhere. The places that people do fitness is different and the types of people who do it and the type of fitness that they want to do is different. So it's really important that you kind of, you know, you understand that. And you, so you've got to get your pricing right because, you know, there is competition and, and you've got to understand where you sit. So pricing's a really, really important place to start. And then you've got to kind of, you've got to understand, well, how are you going to differentiate yourself? Now, if you're purely going to differentiate yourself on price, you know, that's a good way to get into the market. It's very difficult. To, to just continue on that, unless you're a, what they call a sort of an operationally excellent company where you're not just buying stuff cheap and copying it. You know, all your processes in your business are really fine-tuned for efficiency so that you can, you can maintain that position. Otherwise, you've got, to, you've got to come up with something that's a little bit unique. We also put a lot of investment into IP because we develop products or we get people that come to us with ideas. So we want to make sure that we're able to protect ourselves so that, you know, you don't invest... 100, 200,000 or whatever, and then somebody comes and copies it and does it a bit cheaper and they've not gone through everything and suddenly you've lost your market. So you want to protect it. And then, you know, just, just try and understand what, what it is that you're going to, as I said, what, what you're going to do differently, you know, whether it's design, whether it's functionality, whether it's the way that you show people how to use it. In the case of like a Peloton, you know, they've just got an exercise bike. But what they've done, what they've innovated is the sort of workout experience, having the instructor and and that sort of thing. So there's a number of ways to differentiate yourself, but you've got to make sure that you've got something that, that's going to give people a reason to buy from you, really. Absolutely. 
One of the things you mentioned, I'm, I'm a little curious to hear about more. You mentioned some of the differences in approaches to fitness, you know, kind of globally. I'm American. I feel that people in the U.S. are much more into jogging, for example, than when I travel abroad. I just feel like I don't see people running outside <laughs> like I do in the U.S. I, I don't have any data behind that. This is just sort of <laughs> observational. So I'm wondering some of the different markets you guys have been exposed to. Have you seen any, any kind of trends like that? I'm guessing, I don't know, again, I'm, this is just kind of guessing, but I feel like Eastern Europeans are probably really big in like those heavy weights and stuff. <laughs> There's so many things like named after them, you know? Yeah, like Bulgarian tag <laughs> or like the Turkish getup and stuff like that. Kind of. I think certainly right, you know, a lot of these European weightlifting, kettlebell, strongman stuff is there. But I guess we deal with more of the, the mass market fitness. It's a bigger group of people where we get our trends. And, and so I think generally do see, and I am generalizing, and I'm sure someone will say, well, that's not true. But in, you know, if I have to think about our business in general, I, I think you know, North America probably was one, of, you know, well, it was the first country that really sort of made this sort of mass market fitness a thing. They were the first country to build these massive big box fitness centers, the 24-hour fitnesses, the valleys of, of the world which then was followed quite closely from, you know, it went over to Europe, the UK, and then it moved over into Central Europe and Asia. I know there's differences, same for the boutique market. You know, that started LA, New York, went over to the UK, you're now seeing it in, in Europe and Asia. So I think what, what happens is a lot of the trends generally start here. The general population kind of, you get your early adopters and your fast followers, et cetera, your laggards, that kind of thing. So generally over a 10-year period, there's more time for these concepts to evolve and to then diversify. And, but, but in general, there's more of an awareness and, a, and an understanding of fitness in America than a lot of other markets. So even look from a female perspective, you know, certainly in, in America, we see women are, are a lot more interested and in asking to, to use heavier weights. Whereas you go to other parts of the world and it's seen, you know, that's not the type of look or feel that they want. Now, a lot of that's based on the research to say, look, if you want to, a lot of women, I'm generalizing again, but they, yeah, want, go ahead. You know, they want to lose some weight. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to do some sort of resistance training as opposed to sort of cardio, which is the belief in other areas or, or HIIT training. So I think you, you'll get these trends and they will drive the types of equipment that people want. So whilst I would agree that, yeah, you know, you, you kind of see some of that in terms of certain markets wanting heavier weights. I think in general, the heavier weights that we sell are in America because there's more people, there's more different ways that you can work out. And I think that's probably what, what drives it. And, and it's, a good, it's a good question because when we came to, when I, I was based in, our business was based in England. And when we came to America, I, I used to travel quite a lot. And I, I put together what I thought was an ideal product range based on how I dealt did business in Europe and what I thought I knew about the US market. But it wasn't until I got here and lived here that I sort of started to understand some of the, the intricacies within the market. And, and over a, a sort of a three-year period, we pretty much changed everything. Not, not the whole lot, but the majority of our products to, to suit where the market was. So I think the takeaway, if anybody's in that position, is you know don't assume anything. You know, spend plenty of time, talk to people, to, and particularly talk to people that you're thinking about selling to, or people that are like people that you want to sell to, and understand why they buy certain products or why people ask for certain things, and then add your own flair to it. You have got to be careful, though, not just to take things literally, because if you ask people what they want, they'll kind of tell you that they've got it, 
that's one of the things that did happen in the early days. You know, everybody said, well, people don't want nicely designed products and people only want things that are cheap. And we did. We used design. Our price, we used different materials. Our prices were a bit more expensive. And, and we did shift the market because they hadn't seen that. You've got to also have a little bit of confidence in when you have done that research, you know, almost sort of believe what you've got. And particularly if you're going to do something that nobody else has ever seen before, because there's a bit of a leap of faith there, really. Yeah, that's uh, super cool. It's interesting, obviously, to hear you attribute, you know, the States and North America as being kind of on the forefront of, of fitness and, and studios and things like that, because we're so often have the reputation of being, you know, overweight and, and obese, <laughs> to be honest. That's, that's a also culture. true. And it is true. That's yeah, it, true. It, is, it is true. They're just <laughs> as a funny just, kind of yeah, <laughs> diametric or something like that. It's like we have we have a lot of both. So but, you know, but we are not only one. So that's great. Thanks so much for sharing those insights. Uh, for people that want to learn more about you and Escape Fitness, how should they get in touch? Well, we've got a couple of things. You know, if you're interested in fitness and business, we've got an Escape Fitness YouTube channel. Uh, we do a, a podcast where we interview sort of business leaders, predominantly within the fitness sector. So, so it's all health, fitness, wellness related. So that's the Escape Fitness YouTube channel. Uh, we've got the Escape Fitness website. So if you're interested in seeing some of the products that we're talking about, that's escapefitness.com. There's a bunch of stuff, articles and products and things there that you can learn. As it relates to me, I generally sort of fairly active on LinkedIn, and that's just my name, which you'll probably sort of see here. And then Instagram is a little bit more sort of fitnessy and fun. So you can sort of check me out there as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matthew, for being on the call, giving us all these insights into business. Feel free to, or I encourage everyone to check out Escape Fitness and, and learn some fitness tips, especially with the new year coming up. Perfect time to brush up on the latest trends in the space. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.